Today's episode of Help Me Teach the Bible was recorded in 2016. You can find episodes on every book of the Bible, along with topical conversations on Bible teaching, at tgc.org podcasts. From the time that you start preparing a Bible talk to the time that you give it, there's denial, you know, I, it's not happening, I'm just going to ignore it. And then there's the bargaining as I get into the text. I think, oh, I can't do this. Uh, I, Lord, please take it away from me. And then there's the anger. I hate doing this. I don't want to do it. And, and then the grieving over, this is so boring. What I've written is so boring. And then finally there's this resignation. Okay, I'm going to have to do it. Welcome to Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie. This is the podcast for people who love the Bible, and we love the Bible because we want to read it, and we want to hear God's voice speak to us through it. But as we come to the Bible, we come not just looking for a little bit of inspiration for the day. We want to deeply understand, truly grasp, in fact, own portions of the Bible because we want to give it back out. We're people who teach other people the Bible, and we're always looking for ways to better handle this word of truth that has been entrusted to us. And today, I'm sitting with two of my favorite Bible teachers, um, Carrie Sandum and Jenny Saltz. So thank you both for being willing to sit down and to help us teach the Bible. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure. So Carrie, you live in, lives in Kent. I do, yeah. I mean, it sounds so romantic. We'd all like to move in. Do you have room in your house? For uh, come yeah, yeah, you can come anytime. Okay, You're very great. welcome anytime. <laughs> so for a number of years, you've ministered at St. John's Church in Tunbridge Wells. Mm-hmm. And then you were recently appointed as the director of women's ministry at the Proclamation Trust. That's correct. Right? So yeah. do you spend a couple of days in London and then the rest of the week at your church? Absolutely in right. It's, it's roughly four days at... Uh, St. John's in Tunbridge Wells, and then two days a week in London. So many people in the States aren't very familiar with the Proclamation Trust. So Mm -hmm. tell us what you do as the Director of Women's Ministries as part of that. The Proclamation Trust really has three ministries under its its main umbrella. And I'm involved particularly with Cornhill, which is a Bible handling training course for men and women, many of whom are thinking about ministry in uh, the local church. And uh, it's a two-year course that uh, runs alongside a church placement. So I'm involved in training women well, who will teach the Bible. Well, let me just say about Cornhill. I mean, I, I occasionally tell people I meet, you know, think about going to spend a year or two in London because I don't think there's anything like that in the States. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the real uniquenesses of it, I mean, when I think about seminary training here, you know, you write papers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, of, it, of course, at Cornhill, because you recognize that most people who are handling the Bible are going to do it verbally, communicate. Mm -hmm. I understand you don't write papers. I mean, when you do a work, you're going to get up in front of the class and talk, Absolutely right. Yes, so from week one, people are preparing talks and presentations. We we start them off with just a five-minute outline, and then they move through to 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and then 30-minute expositions by the end of the second year. And we're assessing them on their ability to teach the Bible clearly and faithfully. So there's no um, essays, there's no papers to write. It's purely um, they're assessed on their ability to teach the Bible. Wow. I also have with me Jenny Salt, and Jenny is the Dean of Students, a lecturer in pastoral care and preaching at the Sydney Missionary and Bible College. Thank Mm. you, Jenny. Thank you, Nancy. Lovely to be here. So tell us what you do there. Hmm. And and can I just say, I mean, for us in the States, it's a little bit weird for us to hear that a woman is teaching preaching. So help us with that. Yes. So firstly, um, the school that I work at is Sydney Missionary and Bible College, which uh, is an interdenominational reformed evangelical college. I think in... um, in Australia, we uh, colleges are, are more like seminaries when it comes to theology. Um, students come to SMBC to uh, be equipped for ministry in a very broad way, not in terms of theology. Our theology isn't broad. But uh, the equipping of our students 
is applied to any number of contexts after graduation from working in the local church uh, for men and women as well as working in cross-cultural contexts within Australia and overseas. So that's the school. I've been working at the school now for about 20 years and uh, I started there as Dean of Women so my role there was very much in the in the way of pastoral care of the women, seminary students. Uh, Dean of Students, my Dean of Students' students role is uh, broader now to men and women, but I really do love working alongside our women. And when it comes to preaching um, and teaching preaching, we have about four faculty who are involved with that. A lot of the time it's co-teaching. So we share the teaching load. And we want our men and women to be equipped well to preach and to teach and so for our women many of them will go into complementarian contexts but we want them to be equipped well so they can open the word handle it well and communicate it in the context in which God has them so we have men and women who are teaching preaching we have men and women who are learning how to preach and teach And we think that it's good for men to learn from women and to be critiqued by women. And we think it's good for women to be learning from men, obviously, and to be critiqued by men as well. So we we see it as something that we're we're not saying women ought to be preaching to men, but we're wanting women to be equipped as well as men. So tell me what your Bible teaching life looks like, because as well as... Uh, teaching at the school, yes. you you do a lot of just teaching the Bible to lay people in other contexts. Yes, so yes. talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, we. it's wonderful. Um, I live in Sydney and uh, there are some wonderful um, conferences that are in Sydney and beyond. So uh, once or twice a month on weekends or um, evenings, uh, there will be uh, conferences, women's conferences or women's days or mornings or evenings, usually around a meal, so it's a breakfast or a, or a lunch or a supper or something like that. But wonderfully and increasingly, these events are centred on the Word of God, so we, we have spiritual food. And increasingly, over, over the last 10 years or so, there's been a real focus on expository Bible teaching, women to women. I think there's, a, there, there's a, an understanding that women want to be fed well and the more that they see, the more that we model opening the scriptures and teaching the scriptures in its context, the better we understand God's word. And so there is a lovely momentum. And so, for example, um, in the last month, I've spoken at a, a conference in Adelaide, which is a, a city in South Australia, the capital city of South Australia. And we were focusing on Colossians. So I spoke from Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Um, How many messages on that passage? Well, actually, in that particular conference, last year I spoke at the same conference and we did, um, we focused on the book of Ruth and I did three talks from the book of Ruth. So the focus was the book of Ruth. The starting point was the book of Ruth. We didn't, they didn't say to me, we want you to speak on the topic of dot, 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 you know, women and the Bible or something. But they said, we want you to open the book of Ruth and then you tell us what you think the, the overriding theme of the book of Ruth is. That will be the theme of the conference. And then that was a starting point for everything that was said. So that was last year. This year was their 10th anniversary. So they wanted a little, something a little bit different. So I, we did one, I did one message from Colossians 3, 1 to 17. Then there were two panels looking at what it means to walk in the light of the gospel, which came out of Colossians. And then uh, there are other workshops as well. But I, I, I love it when women... Or organizations say, we've got a, a conference, we want you to come and speak. And we want you to speak from a passage or a book in the Bible. And that will be the starting point for our theme. Rather than people saying, we want you to speak on the issue of contentment or the issue of women and and money or something like that. Well, so what so do you harder. say when someone says, okay, we we have a theme for yes, our event yes. and would you come and speak on it? What's your response? Yes, I try and negotiate. Okay, me too. And, and I, I, I say to them, okay, well, uh, would you be willing for me, rather than starting from a theme, would you be willing for me to suggest a few passages mm-hmm. 
or book a book of the Bible and I can speak from a few chapters in that particular book, sometimes they'll say, no, no, we really would prefer you speak on this theme. Now at that point, I will do my best to do that. But You're nicer I, than I am. I mean, I just find it easy to speak from from um, in an expository way. I, so, you know, I just I just find that much easier. But that's um, not why you do it. No, it's not why I do it. I have a conviction that that is the way to go. That is that is a good model of how we are to read the Bible in whatever context. Whether why? It's a, because it is. There's nothing random about the Word of God. There's nothing random. It's not like a whole lot of random bits of wisdom plonked together that you can sort of pluck out and use in any context. It's actually written – the Bible is one story. It is the, the, the story of the redemption of God's people that culminates at the cross of Christ and each part of Scripture fits into that big story. And so we need to read it in the context of the big story. We need to read it in the context of the, of the book that is set in its own historical context and it has its own literary context and – it's so easy to pluck out a passage, a verse, or or some part of scripture, and make it say whatever we want. It, it, we can do that, and people do it all the time. That's not being responsible. I think we need to actually read it in the way, in the form in which it has come to us, the word that has been breathed out by the Spirit of God. We need to to understand it and then communicate it in the way that it came to us. So, Carrie, talk to me about what your Bible teaching ministry looks like week by week. I'm involved in in various different um, Bible teaching contexts. So I'm training the students at Cornhill two days a week. And uh, we've recently been going through Matthew's Gospel and uh, teaching that to each other. And I've been giving them feedback on on their presentations. Um, And at St. John's, uh, we've been doing a series of of, uh, Bible studies um, on 2 Timothy. So we have about a dozen Bible study groups for women that meet at different times during the week. And I'm involved in resourcing those studies and training the leaders. And actually, I, I also lead two of the, the groups myself on a Tuesday afternoon and a Wednesday morning. So uh, I've been looking at 2 Timothy this year, and uh, we've been gradually working our way through that. Um, we've also done some studies in Isaiah, and we've got a, a sort of long-term um, series looking at chunks of the Acts of the Apostles. So we're going to go back to that before too long. So I think probably many people listening to this podcast, they hear teachers like you, and they would really like to sit down with you. They'd like to be, uh, you know, maybe a fly on the wall and see what your preparation looks like. Now, we know it looks Mm -hmm. different for everyone, and it doesn't have to look exactly the same for everyone. Mm -hmm. But can you give us a sense maybe of what your process is like? So you know... They're going to be, you know, all of these studies are going to do Second Timothy this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, when do you start working on it? Just what, how, how does that take shape for you to prepare for something like that? Well, um, in, in the rhythm of my job, um, July and August are usually quite quiet. It's in between the, the academic years for us. And so those are the months of the year when I start preparing what we're going to be doing the following year. So a year ago, July, August, I started working through 2 Timothy myself. And what do you mean by working through it? What does well, that look like? Um, it would actually mean just opening up the Bible and looking at the text myself. I know there's a, there's a real temptation to jump into all the commentaries, but I don't do that. I want to work at the text myself. So I'll, I'll start by praying. I'll read through the whole letter several times. I'll divide it up into what I think will be manageable chunks for the groups to study. And then with each of those um, short passages... I will look at what I think is the the main idea, the big idea. And Do in you the aim. like print out the text or write out the text oh, that yes. you mark up? Oh yes. So I print it out in the um, version that we're going to be using in in the, our groups, um, and then I will work on it, analyze the passage, see what each passage is teaching what us about. What kind of things are you Jesus. looking for when you analyze it? I love getting different color marker pens. Okay. So You're I, I usually I am colorful. Bible study. Yeah. So four different marker pens. The, the first one will be looking at what are the repeated words and phrases mm-hmm. in two sentences. What color gets that? Uh, that's usually pink, actually. Okay. Okay. So uh, just the, the different um, repeated words in a particular passage. Um, and then I'm looking at connecting words. That's usually green, connecting mm-hmm. words. So the like beginning of for. the sentence, therefore, but, so that, mm. if, and then. Um, and that helps you do what? That's, that's helping me to work out the logic 
through the passage so that I can structure it in manageable chunks. Um, and then the third colour, which is normally blue, that would look at what I call the, the gospel indicatives, in that what does this passage tell us about the gospel or about the Lord Jesus? What, what statement of truth is there in this passage um, that it needs to be front and centre in what we're learning? Oh, that's and interesting then, to me. We were all in a session here at the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference yesterday where someone admitted that they tend to be very imperative-oriented. Mm-hmm. And it is so easy when we look at a text. I mean, it's the things that say, do this, be this, pick up this, put off this, whatever. Mm-hmm that we think, okay, I've got my four points. Mm. I'm going to tell people what to do. So I find that interesting. It's kind of a discipline for you in mm. the passage. You're, and what do you mean by indicative, and, and how does that help you prepare to teach as you look for that? Well, I mean, there are imperatives in the Bible. I mean, it would be wrong to say that there aren't. And by imperatives, we mean Commands. telling you what to do. Yeah. yeah, so in light of the indicative, live like this. Mm. So there are imperatives, um, and, and that would be the fourth thing that I'm looking out for with my okay. purple color. That's okay. purple. Okay. So, um, but... The imperatives come as a response to the indicatives. So we look in the passage. Some people maybe not don't know that term indicative. What do you yeah. mean by that? What 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 is indicated in the passage about the Lord Jesus and about okay. the gospel? So look for the for the gospel truth about uh, the Lord Jesus. So the gospel is is able to save us. Um, God's word is is breathed out and useful for teaching and rebuking. Correction. What Christ has done exactly all either either connected with His identity, who He is or his purpose, what he has done. So look at those things in the passage, and then the imperatives, the implications for us, flow out of that. I think it's really important that we get it that way round. Otherwise, we will end up teaching the Bible very legalistically and laying heavy burdens on people that they've got to live in a particular way without reminding them that the Lord Jesus has saved them and then by his Spirit gives them the power to change. So you've got your colorful page. What's next? Yeah. Well, once I've analyzed all of that, uh, the next stage for me would be to um, use the, the connecting words to work out a, a structure for the study. So I don't, don't generally want to do the whole lot in one go. We'll look at different chunks of the study, working our way through in a very linear way. And then what I want to do is to work out uh, what is the um, unifying theme, I think a lot of people call, call it. What, what is the overarching um, point of this passage that I will keep in mind as I work through the, the, uh, the shorter bits. So once I've worked out what the unifying theme is and what the aim of the passage is, I'm then thinking about, okay, what questions can I ask of each of these chunks in order to encourage people to discover these trees for themselves? Like questions for them to do on their own as they study the text. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm producing when I'm looking at these these books. But uh, there are various um, stages of preparation that you go through. But the, the end goal is that I have a clear unifying theme for each passage. And, and each of those unifying themes would um, highlight the overarching unifying theme of the whole book. And then um, some questions that will help people to discover those truths themselves and then the, the implications that come as a result. I think some of us who communicate the Bible, teach the Bible, we can have a tendency to go to a passage and r- want to run pretty quickly to deciding what we're going to say about it. And maybe we're even, we're looking at it and we immediately, maybe if we have instincts for this, we've got our three points. Does the process you're talking about, does it kind of discipline you to keep from doing that? Or do you, do you fight that tendency or do you? There are all sorts of pitfalls. I was talking about this uh, yesterday in a session. There are all sorts of pitfalls of going straight from the Bible text to us now, which I call the short way. The short way is the wrong way. We've got to go the long way round. So first off, we've got to work out what did what did the passage mean for its original hearers? So Paul was writing to Timothy with a particular purpose in mind within a particular context because he was actually not going to be around for very much longer. It's his last letter, isn't it, that he, he wrote. So he's passing on the baton of gospel ministry to Timothy in a particular context. He was leading the churches in Ephesus and saying, look, Timothy, it's over to you now. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, so you've got to understand um, each passage within 2 Timothy within that particular context. So what did this mean for Timothy at the time? And then if we go straight to us again and think, well, you know, what Timothy was doing, we must do, that there's a danger that we miss out on the most important person, and that is the Lord Jesus. So the, the long way round is to look at the passage, see what it meant to its original hearers, then show how it highlights what the Lord Jesus has done, um, who he is and his mission, and then we apply it to ourselves. The long way round is the right way round. Mm-hmm. If, if we don't do that, 
then we will make the Bible legalistic and we will miss out on the Lord Jesus. So, Jenny, talk to me a little bit about what your process looks like. Is it mm. similar? Are there some differences? It is similar. Um, as I'm listening to Carrie, I'm realizing I'm not at all organized. I don't have any pattern of colors. <laughs> What a great idea. We'll so I just, go buy her whatever, yeah. I do have highlighters, but I just, t- well, there's a yellow one. Okay, and now I'll start, un- you know, highlighting certain things. So there is a certain pattern of... Uh, bringing colour into your life, Jenny. I am bringing colour into my life, a little bit less organised in terms of what colours I use for what. Um, I also print out um, the passage. Uh, so, for example, I'm just thinking about a book that I've preached through in relatively recent times, and that is the Book of Ruth. Interestingly, speaking at many women's conferences over the years, um, it seems like a lot of women's conferences, because it's a women's conference, well, what are you going to speak on? Well, we're going to speak from the Bible. But what are we going to speak on? Oh, well, either Rahab, Ruth, Esther, or maybe someone in the New Testament. That's what women want, you know, to hear from women in the Bible. And I would say no. So for 20 years, I resisted. No, no, I want to, how about I speak from judges? Or how about I speak from numbers? Or And people would say, oh, I don't know if that's a good place for women to have a women's conference <laughs> Bible talk. And I say, it's a great place because it's God's word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I relented last year mm-hmm. and I uh, started to prepare for some talks because a, a conference asked me, would you speak on the Book of Ruth? I thought, all right, fine. I will do that, you know, finally I'll do that after 20 years. Anyway, I got into the book of Ruth. Oh, I, I mean, I've read Ruth before, but preparing in the book of Ruth, I just loved it. And so this year we did the book of Ruth at the Sydney Missionary and Bible College Women's Conference and I gave two out of the three talks. And I explained to the women at the beginning when asked why we were doing Ruth, I said, well, look, I have resisted for so many years and uh, – and, but now the time has come. And uh, the person who was chairing the, the day, she said, well, but why have you done it now? And, and I said, well, because it's in the word of God. You know, it's in the Bible. So, of course, you know, we'll do it. Um, but I, I loved it. So what I did in preparing the talks from the book of Ruth, I, I printed out the whole of the, the, the book of Ruth into pages um, Carrie mentioned printing it in the translation that people will use mostly. At a conference, it's hard to know what people will use. So then I'll make a decision, well, what's the best translation, I think, for this particular part of the Bible? I thought that the ESV, the ESV is a more literal translation than, say, the NIV or other translations. It tends to be clunky, but what it does is it um, brings out the nuances uh, that that perhaps other translations might smooth out. Anyway, I chose the ESV, so I printed that out. And then I, I underline and um, uh, highlight. And I'm. it's not as organized, I don't think, as what Carrie does, but I just – things that sort of catch my interest. What I want to do is I want to observe the text closely. I want to come to the passage, to the chapter, to the book with, in a sense – a blank page in my mind and my heart. I'm not coming with a blank page. I'm I'm coming by the grace of God with, um, you know, experience and, um, uh, you know, a biblical theology framework in which I'm automatically putting the book of Ruth into. Yes, I'm doing that and I'm very grateful that I can do that. But I don't want to come thinking, okay, uh, Ruth is about um, a godly woman and how God will bless her. I don't want to come with any preconceived ideas and with the best of intentions impose that on the text. So I want to come and try and be disciplined enough to come and just say, okay, Lord, this is your word. I'm going to read it and I'm going to reread it. I'm going to reread it and reread it. And please teach me what you are saying in this particular place in your word. So I will ask questions of the text um, and these are questions that I suspect other people might have as well. So, um, you know, making observations about Ruth mm-hmm. chapter 1 that, you know, verses 1 to 5 cover 10 years and it's, there's not much emotion in, in the verses. It's just basically just the facts, bang, 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 bang. And I have questions that, that come up in just the plain reading of verses 1 to 5, like what did the Lord think about this family from Bethlehem mm-hmm. picking up sticks and heading to Moab. Let's have, let's have a look and see what the text says about that. It doesn't say anything. What does the Lord think about the fact that the sons marry Moabite women? Oh, I better just check on that because I know that actually in Deuteronomy 
they were told they weren't to marry foreigners. Oh, it doesn't say anything there. So I'm wanting the text to drive my thinking, my understanding. I don't want to impose anything on the text. And then reading through the ESV, you notice there's a whole lot of names, Elimelech, Naomi, Marlon, Kilion. But when you read about the emptying of Naomi and her family, you get to verse 5 and you notice, and this is where it comes out in the ESV, Naomi isn't mentioned. It's the woman. It was all alone. So names matter, and we know that particularly in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Names matter. Naomi means pleasant. By the end of chapter 1, what's her name? She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. That's what my life is, bitter. Mara, bitter. Call me bitter. Elimelech, God is king. But then we come to the end of, of chapter 1, verse 5, and it's not even Naomi, it's the woman. She's been emptied of everything, no husband, no sons, no inheritance in the land. She's left, she's in Moab, she's left with nothing. So anyway, the observing of the text, the close observing through the underlining, the highlighting, coming and just letting the text drive and speak, so good for me. And then as I become so consumed by it, then I start to think about, well, how can I communicate that to those that I'll be speaking to? So I want to exegete the text, but I also want to understand those that I'm speaking to so that I can show them what God says in his word. And I find that as I'm working closely with the passage, uh, it's gripping my heart. I'm getting excited about what I'm learning. And So many of us are used to Bible teaching mm. In which I think we could suppose that the way the Bible teacher approached the text maybe didn't look like what you're describing in terms of this serious observation and asking the text questions Mm. and trying to look at things like, what does it mean in the days of the judges? Mm. What does it mean that here Mm. in Bethlehem in this house of bread, there's Mm. no bread, right? (laughs) All those kind of things. That's right. Um, Because a way many people approach to teach the Bible. They perhaps come to a book like Ruth Mm. and they say, okay, I'm going to be speaking to women Mm. and women feel empty Yes, and women are sad because they've lost their husbands or their children. So perhaps the presupposition is I'm going to go to Ruth to figure out how to talk to people who who have that issue. It's a very different approach. It is a different approach. So I think we've got to discipline ourselves and, and have courage that, the Bible is able to speak clearly and, you know, I grew up in Sydney and the ocean is a beautiful thing. You've got to respect it. You've got to understand it. But be brave to get in there and you'll find it is beautiful and you can enjoy it. And, okay, there's a few big waves and, and you've got to watch for them and know and understand riptides and so on. But get in there and enjoy it. And it will it, be a, a wonderful thing. Get into the word. Don't be afraid to let the word speak. Work hard at understanding it. And, and don't fear the fact that you may not be relevant. God's word is relevant. We don't make it relevant. So we've got to understand the text. We've got to understand the people we speak to. And we show them what God says in his word. We show them how it sits in its own context. We show them the threads that run through that go to the cross. It's harder in the Old Testament than in the New, but we need to work hard for that so that we don't become moralistic and say, be like Ruth or be like Boaz or be like Naomi. No, we want to show how this is part of the big story of God's steadfast love in bitter places that find our, we find at the cross where the Lord Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? That means that we are not forsaken. So we, we show those threads that run through. That takes hard work, but we mustn't be afraid to do the hard work and we must trust that the Lord is going to use that. So oftentimes when I am in situations of training women about teaching the Bible, I imagine you guys have this same experience. You guys, that sounded very American, didn't it? That's okay. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're very Americanized. <laughs> um, <laughs> often have women asked the question, um, and, and I think it's because they kind of wonder, maybe they have a little urge to teach, but there's an intimidation factor. Uh, perhaps they wonder, is it arrogant to say that I want to teach the Bible? And they have 
a, what I might say is a proper sense of holy fear mm-hmm. to take up the Bible and to take up that position to teach. So I just wonder for both of you personally, how did that come about? How did it come about that you had the urge, the opportunity, uh, the confidence, the preparation. Can you just talk to us a little bit about your own personal experience and also how you answer people who ask that question? Well, before I get into that, uh, don't you want to hear Jenny teach you the Book of Ruth? I do. I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> right so now exciting. about setting so up an exciting. episode to record um, it. Um, what, what we have there, just just briefly, is, is an illustration of the different types of, of biblical genre. Because Ruth is story, and the way you teach Ruth, uh, the way you teach Old Testament narrative, is to get people into the story and to see the drama of the story. Very different to Timothy. You, you, you can't have those four highlighter pens when you're analysing Ruth. You have different tools that unpack Old Testament narrative. But anyway, I just want to listen to Jenny teach yeah, me Ruth I do now. Too. Um, but in terms of how how did I get into yeah. teaching the Bible? Well, um, I trained as a um, a high school teacher and I taught maths for years. But while I was doing that um, at my local church, I was helping with the the youth ministry there. So I was teaching young teenagers. And it was actually my pastor who drew who drew alongside me and said, Carrie, he said, I, I I think you enjoy teaching the Bible more than you enjoy teaching algebra. Well, it never occurred to me, to be honest, because I wow. quite enjoy teaching algebra. Pastors have a big role in encouraging, an important role that maybe they're not aware of how much it means to have a pastor tell you, I think God's gifted you for this, don't and you I, think? I, and I, I mean, I, I was completely unaware that he was observing me in that. But I, I would say to people who are thinking about this, um, get involved in your local church and teach the Bible somewhere, whether you're able to teach in, in a Sunday school class with, with youngsters or a youth ministry or, or just do some one-to-one Bible study. Um, put yourself in places where you're actually doing it and let other people tell you whether they think that you're gifted at it. Um, so we're, we're, we're not appointing ourselves to this ministry. I think the New Testament would show us that um, it's up to other people in the church to say, hey, look, I think you might have a gift in this and you should use it. So it's my pastor who, who drew alongside me and said, look, I think you need to go off to Bible college and, and learn how to do this properly. Um, it took me four years to be fully persuaded by him, but that's, that's what I did do. And I thought at the end of three years at seminary, I would go back to teaching maths in high did school. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, that was the big plan, that I would go back to teaching, but would would just be a little bit more equipped to do ministry in, in the local church. But you invested three years in seminary, not assuming you'd go into full-time Christian Absolutely. Well, the, the, the opportunities for women were, were not not really there in, in any kind of full-time paid capacity. Um, so, yeah, I assumed I'd just go back to teaching maths, um, but would be better equipped to serve the local church in, in formal ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lord had, had different plans, and uh, ironically, um, it was the ordination of women um, to the priesthood, which the Church of England adopted in the early 90s, that kind of kick-started um, a whole process where I suddenly realized that I, I knew women, I, I was theologically convinced that women shouldn't be doing that. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to show that there, there was a role for women in the local church, but it wasn't the same as men. And so suddenly I was catapulted by various other people as well into situations where I was ministering to women um, teaching them the Bible in appropriate ways and contexts. And so I, I never really got back to teaching algebra. Maybe I will one day. Maybe I will one day. But, I mean, that's 20 years ago, and, and here I am still working in a local church teaching the Bible to women. How about you, Jenny? When I went to Bible college, um, I had no plans about what I would do after that. I just went, um, not on a whim, um, but um, people suggested I go. But again, it was just to equip myself to be involved in the local church. I'd come from being a flight attendant and before that a registered nurse. So I didn't really know what was next, but uh, never never thought it would be in vocational ministry. While I was there, the uh, principal of the school asked me if I would stay on as the dean of women. And I thought that was a crazy idea, but it appealed to me. I just thought it was crazy from their perspective. Anyway, um, if they were crazy enough to take me on, I, I was going to take the job. Um, the other thing is during my studies at the seminary, um, we had to do um, some what we call expounding scripture. I didn't know that when I applied and, and uh, enrolled in the course. If I'd known, I wouldn't have gone because for most of my life I've had a real fear of public speaking. So in high school and, and after high school, I'd, I would run a mile 
from public speaking. I, I was shy and um, I um, lacked confidence. So having to get up and to preach from a passage in scripture was um, was really quite terrifying for me. But I did the, the ones that I had to do to sign off. And at the end of those, I thought to myself, okay, that's it. And when David Cook, the principal of the school, invited me to be the Dean of Women, my first question was, will I have to preach? And he said, you know, in the context of Women's Chapel and so on, and he said, uh, yes. And I had to think very seriously because that terrified me. So uh, it, I, I never had a sense of calling to teaching um, and preaching in the context of women to women, uh, not at all. And, uh, and so I started in my role as Dean of Women and in the pastoral care of the students. And then um, various women in the local churches would ask David as principal of the school, can you recommend anyone? I don't know whether David had many people to recommend. And I think he wanted to get me out there. Um, and so he would recommend me. And off I would trundle fear, with fear and trembling. And I would you know, bumble my way through, having not had any models really of this. And uh, I, I look back and I think, oh, I never want to go back there because I felt like I was just, you know, flying blind. But I can see the Lord was really um, forming me in terms of depending upon him and teaching me as I went. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the opportunities kept, just kept coming. So I, I, you know, perhaps I'm different to some people. I... I never had a sense of calling. I never had a sense of, oh, the Lord has gifted me. But I took the opportunities as they came. I kept taking the opportunities as they came. I kept doing it with fear and trembling. And the Lord has, there's been a developing of a ministry that has come from that. So yesterday you described the the process of being asked to teach. I think you described it as similar to the seven... Uh, stages of grief that was uh, <laughs> in terms of, from the from the time that you start preparing a Bible talk to the time that you give it yes I, I can see that there are similarities in terms of denial you know I, I, it's not happening I'm just going to ignore it I, I, I don't want to go there yet in terms of preparation and then there's the bargaining as I get into the text I think oh I can't do this uh, I, Lord please take it away from me and then there's the anger I hate doing this I don't want to do it and and then you know the grieving over this is so boring what I've written not God's word what I've written is so boring and then finally there's this resignation okay I'm gonna have to do it okay but I hear you say that and I think a lot of us can relate to at least some of those things but as I heard you talking about Ruth Mm. and the things you were discovering Mm. you did you cannot tell me that you went into that opportunity to teach that still feeling like I don't want to do it well I never feel that confidence standing up Uh, but that's Perhaps my but personality. As you prepare like that, and you you had all those insights yeah. about Ruth. You didn't begin to think, "I can't wait to share this." With people. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's an element of that, but I think that um, there's also a part of me um, that has a, a fear of failure, uh, a people pleasing, a wanting to impress people. All the things that I'm, you know, there's a. You're probably the only one who ever yeah. feels that way. Just uh, so you know. <laughs> So there are those things happening. And um, so, I, yes, I'm gripped by God's word. I love it. And, I, and as, I'm, as I'm speaking to people, people will say, oh, what are you preparing for? Oh, I'm preparing for, you know, the Perth Women's Convention. Or what are you speaking on? I'm speaking on Ruth. Oh, what's that about? Suddenly I start to say, well, this, you know, yeah. Mara, Naomi, you know, the, the flow of, of, you know, God's word as it tracks through the Old Testament, so on. I'm excited and um, I and other people get excited, yes. But then I get to the conference and I'm sitting there and, and everyone's saying, oh, we're so excited. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please, can you open up this platform and let me drop through? Or And afterwards, I don't have a sense of relief either. Afterwards, I, um, I agonize over what I've said and I wonder, you know, I don't think I did that very well. And, and I, in my mind, I'm playing over things that mm-hmm. I said that I, I'm not happy with. Mm-hmm. So... Again, this is partly a personality thing. I think we're all different. Um, but I think a lot of us do that. Do you do that, Carrie? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I go through um, all, all of those emotions. And I think, Lord, why me? Please send somebody else. Um, 
And uh, then often um, I, I'm incredibly nervous just before I get up to speak. And um, I've never actually been physically sick, but I, I do feel that. Mm. And uh, pe- people say they, 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 they can't tell that, and that maybe that's, that's God's goodness, but that's what I'm feeling like inside. And then it, it, after it's all over, there is, a, there is a relief that, oh, thank you, Lord, I don't have to do that again for a while. Um, but then... But then the, the doubts and the, but I should have said this, and oh, no, I don't think they got that, and I wasn't very clear with this. And, and uh, at that point, that's my personality coming through, the, you know, the post-talk blues, I call it. And I, I've got friends back home who will text me and say, preach the gospel to yourself. Don't, don't get into that cycle of negative thinking. You know, the Lord doesn't need me to teach people his word, but he, he delights to put me in places where I can do it a bit. And... Um, he can cover over all those mistakes, and he will use it for his purposes. And and we need to uh, just give ourselves a bit of a talking to and say, look, Carrie, you're not that important, actually, in the grand scheme of things. And uh, the Lord can use it as he wants to. And you won't really know how he's going to use it, and that's how it should be. Yeah. So uh, we, we really do need to preach to ourselves at that point and not not fall into despair uh, which is more my personality, but but also I think um, for those who feel very euphoric and very proud of, of their mm. performance, they need to preach this gospel to themselves as well. We should take the word very seriously. We shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. You know, the grand scheme of things, I'm not very important. I'm a very very small cog, and I don't know why the Lord uses me, but he he seems to put me in places where he wants me to open my mouth. And well, I want to hear from you who some of your both formative Bible teachers were that so along the way you listened to and maybe you thought Mm. I want to do that Mm. and who are some of your favorite teacher preachers that you love to listen to today that still um, you would aspire to handle the word perhaps in the way they do Um, I'm part of um, the Anglican Church in Sydney which is wonderfully evangelical and um, so I've been to many Anglican churches over the years of being a Christian and um, Simon Manchester, for one, um, I was at uh, St Thomas's North Sydney Anglican Church, and he is a wonderful preacher. And he, he's it's, it was always expository. He would uh, gently but clearly and faithfully walk us through the text. He would you would walk away thinking that is a very straightforward passage in Scripture, and I understand what it looks like for me to live in the light of that. So he's, he was, he's so good at that. He's so gifted in that. And so I sat under his teaching for many, many years, and I'm so grateful for, for that model. You know, I heard him preach one time, and I can still tell you a line from it. Because yes. it's like you said, it was memorable. He has this ability, this gift to be able to say things clearly and succinctly mm-hmm. and memorably. But not, he doesn't do fancy footwork. He doesn't, um, he doesn't draw attention to himself. You are constantly being drawn to the Lord Jesus and and understanding the passage in the light of the grace of God. So he's been a very formative for me. Um, my, the boss, the principal of my school, David Cook, who he's no longer the principal there, but uh, he is, has such a passion for preaching and for equipping people for preaching. And uh, so I learnt how to preach uh, in the context that I would go into, which is women to women. I learnt from David in terms of the process of how to take a text and, and have it an expository message um, to make it clear, to engage with people, to understand the text, to understand your people, and then to preach it with passion and conviction. And with David often talks about um, concrete application, explaining the text and then helping people to understand in concrete terms what that looks like for them. You've got to know the people you're preaching to so you can be concrete in your application. David Cook has been a huge influence in my life uh, in terms of preaching. And uh, my, the pastor of my church at Northbridge, um, St. Mark's Anglican, Simon Flinders, um, he is a great model to me not only of preaching uh, but also of um, loving his people. So uh, Simon preaches faithfully week after week, as does Adam Street, who's the other minister there. They're both wonderful expositors, and they both love their people. So um, they, they know their sheep, and they feed their sheep under the, the, the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And that is a great model for me as well. They are faithful, and they love their people. 
and they give time to their people. Just before I left for this trip to um, the Gospel Coalition, um, they both um, called, they both emailed, they both said, how can we be praying for you in, the, in these next few weeks? That's not unusual for them. So that's a great model for me as a woman in ministry. It's wonderful to be cared for by those that, that lead me. Um, they're great models of expositors and they're great models of how they love their people. Mm. How about you, Gary? Well, after I was at seminary, I had I had the privilege of, of working at St. Helens Church in Bishopsgate in London for a few years where Dick Lucas um, was the rector. He was coming to the end of his ministry there and he'd set up the Proclamation Trust and Cornhill was getting off the ground. But I would say that um, his preaching ministry is what has fashioned and shaped mine since then. And it, it was a privilege to to be taught by him and um, to, to be trained uh, by him. And um, he has a, a particular way of going to the text and analyzing it and then um, bringing out the, the structure that is there and then making it accessible and relevant to people. And I think he, he had a profound influence on me in, in trying to do that. But it, it wasn't just the way in which he taught. It was his, his own integrity of life. Um, I think many people have, have tried to manufacture his preaching style. What they can't do is manufacture his integrity. And um, I feel hugely privileged to have been taught and trained by him, but also um, at times rebuked by him. I, I remember the very first talk that I had to give where he was giving me feedback. He said to me afterwards, Carrie, he said, there's always room for improvement. And he said, you've got a lot of room for improvement. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was the best thing he could have said to me because he was absolutely right. And, you know, I, I would far rather people were honest with me than, than tell me it was good when it's not. Um, but he then showed me how. And um, that's what I, I, I loved about him. And um, I'm going back to London next week to the EMA. And Dick is 90 years old now. And he's, he's going to preach at the EMA next week. So I'm looking forward to hearing from him. So he, in terms of um, encouraging me to work hard at the text and to, to find the structure and to make it relevant and then to preach it to people, it, it would be working with him those years and his influence since then. But more, more recently, I would say that... Um, the ministry of Christopher Ash, who I work uh, or have worked with at Cornhill, has had a profound impact too. In that Christopher is just so real about his own weaknesses and his own so humble. Uh, so his 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 temperament. I mean, I think he calls himself um, a bit of a an eel figure. You know, he's a bit of an eel, and I think I'm a bit of an eel too. So we work together really well. Um, <laughs> he again works really hard at, at the text, um, but he. He brings something of himself to his teaching, uh, which again you can't manufacture. You can't manufacture somebody else's personality or character. But he has encouraged me over the over the years to be honest and to apply the text to myself and to show people how it has impacted me, um, in order that it might help them to see how it can impact them. And I would say that that's something that Christopher has really taught me over yeah. the years. To find that balance between doing that mm. and yet not making it all about you. Absolutely right. I, I don't think he's in danger of, of making the text all about him. But oh. if anything, I think because of our British Reserve, we hide behind the text. And he's, mm. he's given me the, the, the confidence to say, no, no, this is how it's impacted me. And this is what I want to share, mm -hmm. share with you. So Dick said you had a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. Hmm. How have you improved? Let's say over like the last 10 years. Well, we'll maybe we should talk to him this. about that. Maybe you should ask him that. We'll close with this for both of you. How have you improved? If you look back at your teaching self 10 years ago, how do you think you've gotten better? And then as you look to the future, are there particular things you think, wow, I'd like to get better in this way? Do you know, I've still got a long way to go. Um, I, 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 I look back on, on things that I did uh, 5, 10, 15 years ago and uh, – I'm often so ashamed. I'm thinking, Lord, what was I thinking? And like what? Well, you know, you, you, you realize that you've, you've made a passage far more legalistic than it, sh than it should have been, or you've not shown Jesus enough. You've ripped something out of context and not understood why it's significant in, in the argument of the letter or, or the gospel. Um, I, I, I said I've been going through Matthew's gospel with some of the students at Cornhill. Our default position when we're teaching the gospels is often to make them about us. Now, how awful is that? The Gospels are not about us. They are about the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he's come to do, and then how we should respond to him. But, you know, how often do we make those parables and those miracles all about us? And they're not they're there to tell us about him. So I, I, you know, there is so I have so much more to learn. 
How about you, Jenny? To look back on those, you know, the first few years and I think, oh, Lord, thank you so much that you are sovereign because I made a dog's breakfast of, of what I did. And I suspect that when I look back on talks I'm doing now, I will probably feel the same way about what I'm doing now. I think there's always, always room to improve. And um, I, I am learning so much from other women who are doing similar things. So if we're thinking about people who are influential for us now, I think, I mean, of Carrie and Nancy and, and Kathleen Nielsen and, and others, other women who are, do, who are working hard and, and wanting to be faithful. And that is a great um, influence and encouragement to me. Um, the Lord is very good in how he uses us in our weakness. And I look back on talks I've done as I read, read them through thinking I might do that again. I think oh, I'm not doing that again. I'm going to start from scratch again. I hope that in years to come, if we're thinking about improvement, the improvement will be in my awareness of my dependence and um, my weakness that will show Christ's strength um, not be paralyzed by that. And I think I'm less paralyzed than I used to be. I, I, I think where I've changed probably from 10 or 20 years ago is that my heart doesn't pound out of my chest as much as it used to. Um, and perhaps maybe in another 10 years, I'll, my heart will pound less than it does now. But um, I want to be even more aware of my dependence upon the Lord and and that it's not about me, as Carrie said. It's not. It's not about me, Jenny. Get out of the way, and show them Christ. And that's what I hope will be increasingly the case. Mm. Well, Carrie and Jenny, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been really rich, and I anticipate hearing from a lot of people that they found it really helpful. So, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie, a production of the Gospel Coalition, sponsored by Crossway. Crossway is a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible, Christian books, and tracts. Learn more about their gospel-centered resources at crossway.org.